Today's episode of the North Forker Podcast is brought to you by California Closets, opening a new showroom at 70 North Main Street in Sayville. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to another uh, episode of the North Forker Podcast. I am Graham Parpan, and I am joined today by uh, two very special guests, uh, Fred and Karen Lee of Sang Lee Farms. Thank you for coming down. Thank you for having us. <laughs> it's yeah. great to be here. So we have them on the occasion of not just because um, you know of our bias of them being such a great farm that we love so much and we uh, love to write and talk about, but also um, on the occasion of them being honored as the Northeast Farming Association. Did I get that right? Northeast Organic. Farming Association um, right. of New York, uh, Farm of the Year. Yes. Farmers of the Year. Farmers of the Year. Yes. That's yes. exciting. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's the Oscars. Yeah, it's yeah. the Oscars. You just won Best Picture. <laughs> yes. Uh, or is it Best Actor or an yeah. Actress? I don't know. I don't. <laughs> it's all of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, and I'd imagine a, a good place to start would just be that this is probably a particularly important honor for you because of the organic component to it and because of all right. the changes over the years within your farm. I mean, you weren't always an organic farm. That's true. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I think our, Fred can speak to the history a little bit better. Yeah, um, sure. But that's partly why they uh, they looked at us is because we had this very interesting evolution. Mm-hmm. So, so um, just to go back um, into the 40s uh, when my dad and my uncles first started farming, we were a conventional truck farmer mm-hmm. uh, selling into the wholesale markets, uh, originally into the New York City, Chinatown mm-hmm. area, mm-hmm. and then branching out to other metropolitan ethnic areas, Chinatown areas in Boston, Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, mm-hmm. and so on. Um, and that sustained the company and the business as we grew through the 1990s. Mm-hmm. Um, Family members, of course, passed on and different changes in the market. Mm -hmm. Um, We moved different locations. Um, Our location currently in Peconic is our third Mm -hmm. farm location. Uh, We moved out of Melville Huntington in the early 60s. We were in East Murchis for another 23 years or so. And then I moved the farm with one cousin at the time in 1987. Mm-hmm. To our current location at Peconic. Yeah, but, yeah, I know. Uh, my, you know, my my mother-in-law lives in Manorville, and there's a Sangley Drive over there. And I would imagine that has to do with maybe that used to be your family farm, or it was, yeah. it was. And I don't know, yeah, um, how that came to be. But we were right off uh, in East Murchis, Eastport, yeah, Andrew yeah. area, off North Head of Neck Road. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, I one of the roads is named. They spelled it slightly different. Yeah, I think it's like it's one word. And, yeah, uh, yeah of but two I'm, words. I've always had that thought as I've driven by it. If well, it that's had anything to what do they with, did. Um, but yeah. that was mm-hmm. the farm that I grew up on. Yeah, what is that like um, to drive by there and see, see these all big houses? houses? And um, that's got to be a little disheartening. Very right? productive farmland, and it mm-hmm. grew houses instead mm-hmm. of vegetables and bok choy. Yeah. He, he um, doesn't go by it. Yeah, I don't he go can't by look. It much, is is but, it uh, is it painful or? In certain respects, yes, mm-hmm. uh, but I didn't have a say in the matter. Um, mm-hmm. I was just a, a little kid, kind of, <laughs> yeah. um, or out of college, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so we moved here, mm-hmm. which was uh, a new beginning for us and uh, a wonderful agricultural community mm-hmm. here in Southold. So there were all good things that came from that. 
Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, re- I actually was reading um, the other day uh, a, a piece that I guess the New York Times did on you, I think before you even were organic, but about the history mm-hmm. of it. It was a great piece. Oh, and, that and, you uh, read that New oh. York Times article. Yeah. That, that really had a lot of the history in that article. Yeah, it was really interesting. Yeah, yeah. And just about the shifts in the markets and, uh, right. you know, um, I, I guess there was like sort of a niche that your mm-hmm. father and his generation, his, his brother and cousin. Yeah. Had. Originally, we were growing Chinese cabbage, mm-hmm. um, predominantly for the Chinatown markets. Mm-hmm. So it was a niche. Um, but everything changed yeah. uh, in the way we were marketing. The markets themselves changed. Suppliers from south of the border, north of the border, um, began shipping, uh, became more widely um, popular mm-hmm. as far as that's not exact terminology. but Sure. And, and it became a price uh, war, basically. Mm-hmm. As it became more popular, Chinese vegetables uh, became very competitive in the market. So the larger size farms uh, had uh, different economies of scales of production. Mm-hmm. And coming from south of the border, Mexico area and whatnot, their costs of production were much, much lower than they are here in New York. So we went through um, a very uh, dramatic change as far as what we could do in the market mm-hmm. and who we could sell to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... Um, mm-hmm. It's, it's got to be incredibly challenging to reinvent yourself um, in farming when, you know, I'd imagine with each type of vegetable you grow, um, it's, you have to learn. You have to start all over oh, again absolutely. in a sense, right? Absolutely. Um, so the changes were not all easy. <laughs> I don't know if any of the changes were easy, but thankfully we were able to navigate the changes and... Uh, begin to adopt different vegetable crops, uh, approach different markets, mm-hmm. and... Um, Very gradually. I mean, really, the shift from from the wholesale to the retail was 10 years. Wow. And each vegetable crop that he added, one or two or three, he had to learn, as you said, mm-hmm. how to do it yeah. organically. Mm-hmm. Um, and also to learn it at all, because he'd never grown those products before. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it really was, we weren't sure like whether we could sell it, whether we'd really have a crop to sell, mm-hmm. you know, and this is not a hobby farm. This is like the real yeah, <laughs> living that we're trying to make. <laughs> yeah, you know, your well-being is on the line. Yeah, and, you know. so it was scary. We, yeah. we did it gradually. Mm-hmm. That's true. Um, the funny thing, some people say, wow, you really switched right at the right time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're a marketing genius. And the reality is that the kids were little, Mm-hmm. And I was the primary pesticide applicator. Mm-hmm. So I would spray the field and, and we'd come back after the time limit was up for days to harvest and we'd be harvesting. But sometimes the kids would go out and run through the field. They'd be playing in the field. Yes. And I thought, you know, there's there's got to be a better way to grow the vegetables that mm-hmm. we're consuming as a family that I'm selling uh, to communities around us and the kids are playing in the field. Mm. And so little by little, I just stopped using those pesticides and Mm. stopped spraying some of the fields that we were going to be harvesting in a short time period. Mm. That's interesting. I mean, it's not... uh, So it wasn't necessarily like having that foresight to be like in 
In 10 no. years from now, people are really going to care about what they put into their bodies. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, that wasn't no, it at all. There was no the marketing case. plan. It was, mm-hmm. it was just a personal commitment mm-hmm. to what we felt was right. Mm-hmm. Um, is this something that, you know, more farms could be doing? I mean, I know you probably don't want to speak ill of your uh, fellow farmers, and mm-hmm. but I know, you know, I've been to some Farm Bureau meetings as a reporter and stuff, and I know, you know, it can get a little testy about... Uh, you know, they want us to use less pesticides, and I can't do anymore, you know. and uh, yeah. No, I have great respect for mm-hmm. all farmers, conventional, mm-hmm. organic, biodynamic, you name it. Mm-hmm. Farming is a challenging industry, uh, hands down. Um, but each farmer has to make their own decision for mm-hmm. what their market is, what they're growing, and what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's an individual choice, and I don't think any less of any farmer, whether they're organic or conventional. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what, what about you? You know, I'm curious, Karen, as to your your background. Did you grow up in a farm family or did you just <laughs> choose to marry into this crazy lifestyle? I had no idea what I was signing up for. Uh-huh. Um, I'm a nurse and I'm from the city of Boston. Oh, wow. So I grew up in the city and not in the country, not on a farm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I met Fred at Boston University. We were both getting our, our master's in business, actually. Oh, wow. And I was going to major in healthcare management and do all kinds of hospital management or whatever. Uh, but Fred's father got sick. That's how we became close. Hmm. And we were talking about his illness, and he was seeking medical advice, opinion, whatever. Oh. And his father died a few months later. It was very short, very quick, and very uh, difficult. Hmm. And... Um, Fred said to me uh, he had to go back to the farm, and he hadn't really been planning on going back to farming. He was on to other careers, he thought, Mm -hmm. Um, but he's the only son. He wanted to go back and sort things out and help his mother and so forth, and uh, he said, do you want to come? And I thought it was temporary. I thought it was maybe a little bit of an adventure, (laughs) (laughs) and then... And then it was an interesting oh, pickup line. Understatement. <laughs> OMG. And Fred was very understated about it. He didn't fill in any of the details. Mm-hmm. Um, there were no street lights and there were no sidewalks, <laughs> that's for sure. There were hardly any people or cars because we went straight to Florida where it was pretty rural. And, uh, and I had no clue what it took to grow food. I was like, oh my goodness, everyone should know this. Mm -hmm. Because then they would be asking me, why is that lettuce only $3? Like it should be more, (laughs) you know? It was, it's just, it's so hard. Um, And anyway, it didn't turn out to be temporary because there was just so much. Mm -hmm. It was a huge ball of wax. And um, I, I became immersed in it basically. And I did for many years try to convince them to get out of it. You know, at, at some point I had to make peace with it because he was not changing. What did you want to do, Fred, if you were going to business school? Um, something other than farming, <laughs> quite honestly. What, um, what was it that you, why was it that you wanted to get away from it? I had grown up on the farm. I farmed with my family uh, and worked on the farm almost every summer of my life. Um, I just wanted to see what else was out there. Um, at that time, in 1980, I guess it was the fall of 1980, just before my dad passed away, we were operating in two states, Florida, Hope Sound, Martin County, Florida. Mm-hmm. The family-owned farmland down there, as well as East Murchis, New York. So it was we were a medium-sized family operation, 
uh, cropping over a thousand acres during the course of 12 months. So there were other cousins, my uncles were involved, there were other family members as well as additional staff. Mm -hmm. So it was an opportunity for me to maybe step back a little bit and say, well, I don't have to get right into the thick of things with a family. But with my father's passing, that changed the, the mix of how we were doing things. And it just seemed, I don't know, it was a big wrench in the gears for me. So changing. You, you were studying finance, basically. He was in advanced topics of finance. He had a real head for numbers. Well. And he thought he would do something financial or banking or something mm. like that. But the business side of things is actually really important in farming, right? I think that's what people yeah. don't realize is that even right. just as important as what you do out on the field is what you do in the office, right? It's, it's a business. Mm-hmm. It's a business. And there's a lot <laughs> you have to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah what, are, what are some of the sort of misconceptions about farming here? Uh, plain and simple. Um, that farmers are very simple. Mm-hmm. You take a seed, you stick it in the ground, and you come back and you harvest the profits. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not simple at all. It's extremely challenging. Um, it takes a great deal of time, as a lot of businesses do. But farming seems to be subject to a little bit more variables as far as weather, markets, um, Labor issues are the same as other businesses. Um, and regulation, a lot of regulation now that you have to deal with. Are, mm-hmm. are turning out to be a big thing as mm-hmm. well. Um, so it's, it's much more challenging than I think most people understand it to be. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the issue of land, uh, that's one of the biggest issues for us is having available land, particularly organic land. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's di- it diminishing uh, availability, and the cost factor is huge. Yeah. So, um, yeah, people don't think about that aspect either. Yeah, well, here, I mean, just the value of the land, the mm-hmm. least end, it's, it's almost yeah. like a miracle that as many farms are still here. I mean, I know, obviously, there's been programs to make that possible. Right. But, you know, it's such an expensive place to buy land. Right. Uh, a number of decades ago, within our lifetime, um, there was more than 50,000 acres of potatoes alone, mm-hmm. not counting other vegetable crops and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I don't know the current statistics, mm-hmm. but I'm going to guess it's close to one or 2,000 yeah. acres tops in Suffolk wow. County committed to potato growing mm-hmm. just because of the dramatic changes in mm-hmm. the market, consumer uh, preferences, and mm-hmm. difficulty in, in farming. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, speaking of the types of produce that are grown, I'm absolutely blown away by how many different things you offer there. Um, we, my wife and I did your CSA for a couple of years, and sometimes I would get a vegetable that I had no idea what it even was. Right. <laughs> I would come home, and we didn't, we, we, sh- we shared it with another couple, yeah. and they lived closer to the farm, so they'd always pick it up, and they'd drop it off for us, and we'd say, did you ask what that is? <laughs> I don't know how to cook it. <laughs> well, that's great because even as a farmer and growing up on a farm, mm-hmm. um, my background was Chinese vegetables. So sure. that I knew hands down, mm-hmm. all the different varieties of cabbage and melons and squash and whatnot. But learning to grow all the other varieties that we have from heirloom tomatoes, asparagus, zucchini blossoms, um, that took a little bit of time and education. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but it's been fun in that mm. respect. Mm. And people in the CSA program often say to me, you know, oh, I never would have bought a kohlrabi, but now it's like my favorite thing. Well, yeah. So that's the beauty of a CSA. Well, I, I love that, that challenge of, yeah. okay, now what do I cook this with, you know? And I, right. I think that's why things like, like Blue Apron and those kind of services are right. exciting to people, you know, because right. it's like... All right, this is what I got. Right. <laughs> this is what I got to work with. Right. And you start to love it. Like, you know, I right. found like when I subscribed to Blue Apron or when I went with you guys that I right. just how much I love bok choy that I, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, I didn't grow up in a house where bok choy was ever right. cooked, you know, <laughs> and, and I enjoyed right. it. Right, right. Um, you found, you discovered it and you loved it. Yeah. We do newsletters. I don't know if you did mm, at the yeah. time. We do newsletters now with lots of recipes and tips and things in there because people need that help. Yeah. But uh, for a CSA member, they, they, they sort of like that. They, mm-hmm. It's like a little bit of a surprise every week. Yeah, definitely. No, it's great. I mean, because otherwise we would just, it would be like chicken, mm-hmm. rice, and broccoli all the right. time. Right, same know? old, I mean, same old. Yeah. <laughs> chicken, rice, and, and broccoli, I love that. A few different ways you could prepare each of those. Like, yeah, exactly. Should we steam the broccoli or roast it today? Right, you know? right. But when you like actually go to the farm stands or join CSAs, you can't do that. You have right. to, you know, you challenge yourself a little more. Exactly. Um you know, speaking of the changes in the business, aside from just, um, you know, going to organic, um, obviously your farm stand has a lot of other offerings. I think you're, uh, you, you do a lot of that, Karen, with, Mm -hmm. you know, my personal favorite is the spicy cabbage soup. Ah, um, very nice. That's with the Chinese Napa. Yeah, that is incredible. I always tell Thank people you. to Thank get you. that because that was something I would have probably never tried if my wife hadn't brought it home one time, and I love it. It's so delicious. Wow. Thank you. Um, but is that something that, you know, is also sort of brought on by necessity or just something that you uh, wanted to try to do? You know, That's that's a very good question. Um, that's part of our history is that actually the very first – when Fred was decreasing the wholesale – I started a flower table. I don't know if you know the beginnings of the no, farm I, I stand. All right, so Fred grew uh, quite a few acres of cut flowers for me. I had no clue how to do that either. Yeah. Um, I enlisted uh, my three children, who were 7, 10, and 12 at the time, to be my flower cutters. And we got other farm stands to buy our flowers. So we went out in the morning at 7 o'clock. We cut the flowers, brought them back for the 9 o'clock wholesale pickup. And then we went back out and cut again after I served them breakfast and did a cut for our little flower table. Okay. Now, the only other thing that Fred grew at that time was um, mescaline greens, which is what now called baby greens. Sure. And we sold it to the high-end restaurants in the city and to one other specialty supermarket called Balducci's. Okay. It's a family-owned business. And Balducci's at that time did the little silver bowl with the salad in it with the tongs, mm-hmm. but he had our name on it. Sangley Farms Baconic, just a tiny little card. Do you know that I had customers stopping to buy my flowers <laughs> and ask me, was I the Sangley selling to Balducci's? Oh. I kid you not. And people would say to me, could, could you like go get me some? Mm-hmm. And I would like run to the cooler, steal out of his wholesale crates <laughs> and sell this mess gloom with the flowers. Sure. And I said to Fred, well, maybe we should put out a little baby bok choy, too, and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And that's how the stand started. Again, no master plan. Mm-hmm. Just giving my customers what they wanted. Mm-hmm. We moved from the table on the road to the garage, where we still are. Mm-hmm. Moved his men away, where they used to have their lunch. Put them <laughs> behind a screen, and we were in front. Mm-hmm. But that, the reason I'm giving you that history is that that very first year, people would say to me, 
what dressing do you recommend for this mm-hmm. salad? Sure. And they really, especially back then, were there was there wasn't really nothing in the supermarket that I could suggest. Mm-hmm. So I gave out recipe cards, or I'd tell people recipes, and I'd get the glazed look. I knew they weren't going to make it. Yeah. And I said, Fred, I, I think I have to make some dressings because I don't want people putting junk on this stuff. It's too beautiful. Yeah. We had like 13 baby green ingredients in there. It was gorgeous. So that very first winter, I started five dressings, which are still on my stand today, uh, the ginger scallion dip, and a couple of the pestos. And ever since then, every winter, I just play around with recipes and we introduce new products in the mm-hmm. spring. But it started really just from customers asking me. Yeah. And I'm still doing it. Just seeing the need there. Seeing what they're interested in. Mm -hmm. Same thing happened with kimchi, a fermented bok choy thing. Mm -hmm. I thought, I'll just make it for those few customers. And then it was like a thing. People saw it. They wanted it. So I I have other fermented products now Mm -hmm. as well. So I just listen to my customers and go from there. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's uh, something that we kind of, you have to do, right? Yes, very important. uh, People, the way they eat changes from month to month, let alone, you know, over the course of time. And even talking to them about what vegetables I could suggest that Fred grow more of or or start something new. Mm -hmm. I listen to them and we go from there. Yeah. Yeah. How many of the, and I know, you, you know, you still grow some of the Asian uh, vegetables. Mm-hmm, how, how many, you know, what percentage of your We probably grow uh, three quarters or two thirds of what we originally grew. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't grow as many of the melons and squashes, but we are trying and we'll probably introduce another couple this year. Mm-hmm. So I know change doesn't come easy for me, (laughs) but I know it's something that we have to do. Mm -hmm. So there will be changes in consumer preferences, uh, what people are looking for. And so even going back to some of the melons and squashes that we used to market to Mm -hmm. the wholesale ethnic markets in Chinatown, New York, um, it might be something of interest to consumers today. Right. We're, we're starting to reintroduce some of those things from 20 years ago that there really wasn't an interest then, other than the baby bok choy, I couldn't really move any of the other products. Mm-hmm. We're beginning to reintroduce a lot of those items to Chinese broccoli, some of our radishes, like the Korean mu, is extremely popular. Uh, but we're now starting with some of the melons. Fred grew a winter melon this year, the dunggua, yeah. to make soup with people... People loved it. But in terms of the percentage of what we grow that is Asian, mm-hmm. it's like 2%, Yeah, maybe. But it's it actually, very small. It actually still kind of stands out to me because yes. it's not necessarily, I, I can get that through you, but not necessarily through a lot of the other farms. Right. Or even in the grocery store. So mm-hmm. one of the things that I know is important to where we're marketing and to our customers is they can come to us for items that they don't necessarily see in any of the supermarkets. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the melons, it's a Chinese a bitter melon mm-hmm. called mm-hmm. fugua mm-hmm. in Cantonese. Um, that was something that I probably couldn't sell right. years ago. No. But somehow it's come back into popularity because of its medicinal qualities. Mm -hmm. Um, It's high in quinine, and it's used for many different things. Mm -hmm. We get requests for it, and people will buy the entire basket for medicinal use and uh, health. Yeah. 
reasons. And, um, I wanted to ask you, I, you know, I cheated a little and read the New York Times piece, so I'm not coming in exactly cold, but they talked about the origins of the name. Could you explain, Fred, there was no person named oh, Sang Lee. Sure. Mm. <laughs> so our farm name, mm. Sang Lee Farms, is really anglicized. Mm. Um, in Chinese or in Cantonese, it would be Sang Lee Choi Yun. Um, the two first characters, Sang Lee, they anglicized to Sang Lee mm. and wrote it out. But the two characters are not names of anyone or names in particular. The two characters, and I don't really read Chinese, that much at all, um, mean grow more in prosperity. Mm -hmm. So the character names and their exact meaning um, just sound like our family name. Mm -hmm. So the Sung Lee and Fred Lee, mm -hmm. the two Lees sound the same, but they're phonetically the same, but different in meanings. Mm -hmm. And that. written different. The and Chinese characters different. are different. Two different Chinese mm -hmm. characters. Mm -hmm. Was your father, was he born in this country? Or was yes. He, he so, was. Yeah, so and, I'm and actually... not a farm family, right? No. Yeah. <laughs> There's a little story He created a little too. monster there where now, uh, you know, you had to keep it going. Yeah, I don't know if, yeah. don't know if all <laughs> your kids are into it or... <laughs> um, this created came up actually in the NOFA conference because I had to give a presentation there. And the question came up, so... What was your dad's background if it wasn't farming before? And the truth was that my grandfather came here just after the turn of the century, and he opened a Chinese laundry. Mm -hmm. And my dad had three brothers, and all of them swore up and down that there was one thing that they would not do <laughs> as they continued. Um, they would not participate in the Chinese laundry. Yeah. That was so. probably a good decision on their part. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, my dad was born in Floral Park, okay. um, Queens, I right. guess, County, mm -hmm. and uh, went to school here, was in the Navy, and after World War II is when he joined my Uncle John, who had started dabbling and figuring out what he wanted to do other than the Chinese laundry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you think, um, obviously, he didn't get to live to see the evolution of the business, but I would imagine he'd be quite proud. Yes. Or would he think the organic end of things is, you know, he's probably an old school guy if he uh, mm -hmm. passed away in 1980. I mean, maybe organic, yeah. he would have been like, what are you talking about? Yeah. I don't know. Or yeah. <laughs> do you think about but that at all, what he I would do. think about where you're at today? I do. Um, I think he would be proud of where we are today mm -hmm. and surprised perhaps that even our son, Will, mm -hmm. is involved. Mm -hmm. in is, and you said you have three children? Yes. The other two aren't involved or... <laughs> no, the other two are in the city. Yeah. Well, Jen, Jen, Jennifer, Michael, and William, they all worked on the farm yeah. during all the summers that I can mm -hmm. remember. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they all have farming in their blood. Mm -hmm. um, it's just that Jen and Michael right now, and you never say never, <laughs> are living and working um, in the city. But I'd imagine you're, as someone who kind of wanted to get out at one point yourself, you must be proud of them and happy yes. for them, right? I'm proud of all of them. <laughs> and we yeah. always said to them, you know, farming should be something you choose. It's too hard to have it like thrust upon you. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, they need to choose it because it's a real commitment to do it. It's, it's such hard work. You really have to want it. Mm -hmm. uh, and even then you wonder why you're wanting it, you know? Yeah. Um, my son, Michael, the younger one, mm -hmm. uh, studied, uh, agriculture, actually, oh. at Cornell. Oh, wow. We thought he was the one coming back. And mm -hmm. William studied business. 
and worked in the city. And when Michael finished uh, his time at Cornell, he came to Fred and said, I think I'm moving to the city. And, and you know, we were like, what? <laughs> well, <laughs> what are you Jennifer, doing? <laughs> our eldest uh, yeah. said to him, you don't have to go back to the farm right now. Yeah, she enticed Why don't you him. come into the city, work five or ten years, mm-hmm. and then if you don't like it, then you can go back to the farm. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if he's coming back to the farm right <laughs> now. No, no. Yeah. And, but William came back because uh, he didn't like that city lifestyle, and he's a real outdoorsman. Yeah. He's a hunter. He's a fisherman. He, he needs, you know, fresh air and a lot of room. <laughs> well, he's in the perfect place for it. Yeah, yeah. So we're very happy to have his help. He's been, uh, over the last four or five years, oh, really nice. taking on more and more and more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's great. Um, you know, I, I wanted to circle back to some of the you know, organic stuff. I mean, I've, I've had you going for almost a half hour here, so should wrap up soon, but I I have so much I want to ask you. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, I'm curious about where we're going to be say 10, 20 years from now when on Long Island, we look at the drinking water Mm -hmm. and, um, not to put that on farmers. That's not all on farmers by any stretch of the imagination. Mm. Um, I'd say, you know, the residential impact is, massive. Um, but, um, I would imagine that as regulations get stricter and you're going to see more and more people have to shift toward organic practices. Mm -hmm. Um, yes and no. Mm -hmm. Um, regulatory agencies have actually, um, acted further up the pipeline, so to speak, so that registrations of materials that have the potential to leach that don't break down quickly, or are not as environmentally friendly, are not getting registered for use in New York State or for use on Long Island. Mm -hmm. So it's possible that a farmer can remain conventional. He just won't have those materials available to him Mm -hmm. or her to use. Um, But in in reality, too, there might be a continued shift more to economic... um, environmentally friendly practices Mm -hmm. and certainly becoming certified organic and farming organically, in my opinion, is, is the better way to go. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you hear from a lot of customers who they're seeking out the, or they're seeking out organic Oh, definitely. Yes. Definitely. Mm -hmm. People seek us out, Mm -hmm. uh, from all over Mm -hmm. really, really. And we do home delivery now too. Mm -hmm. Uh, so we get Shipments all over e- into the be city. Be careful and saying all. that on here. You might have uh, a bunch more people. Uh, oh. know, it might be too much to keep <laughs> up with. <it. laughs> um, you might need pe- Michael to come back from the yeah. city to handle deliveries. Here. Right. <laughs> uh, I know that could be a huge thing. Um, we see ourselves really as stewards of the earth, and I think more and more people are uh, becoming aware of the need to steward the earth and the water uh, because of uh, our worries about contamination and, sure. and caring for the next generation to have the quality that we have here. Yeah. Um, well, people's orientation and perception about their personal health, it, mm-hmm. the people are more conscious about their health. And vegetables, you can't eat enough vegetables. So mm-hmm. Vegetables are good. Yeah. And I have seen a maybe shift should, in maybe that. Maybe you could talk to my son a little. You know, oh. He's five years old, and it's not going so well on the vegetable front. All right, so send him, <laughs> send him to our camp. We I do know. a camp. It's Trust once me. a week, one day a week. And you can do one week, or you can do four or five weeks. But once they are on that land, and mm-hmm. they're playing with the 
mm-hmm. soil and the, the soil and the earthworms and the whatnot. Whatever. It and then tasting things like when they pull the carrots right out of the ground, yeah. it changes the game. Trust me, if he doesn't shape up soon enough, he's going right to farming camp and then to boot camp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, That's what I did something. with my three. <laughs> it wasn't natural. It was boot camp. Um, um, you know, I, I wanted to, to to wrap up by asking you each just what this honor, this award to be, you know, um, farmers of the year from, you know, uh, an organic farming organization, what that means to each of you. Well, I, I can speak to that. Uh, I, d- I never saw it coming, but I'm really, really very honored to receive it. It is uh, great recognition, not just to myself uh, and all the work that we've put in, but it's a testament to where we are, I guess. And I have to say that if it were not for our staff and some of our long-term employees, um, we couldn't do the things that we do today. Mm. Um, and I owe my thanks to them all of them, and there's so many. I, I yeah. can't say them all here or mention all their names, but they are who have put us here today. Mm-hmm. What about for you, Karen? And I, I again, I'm feeling very. I, I was very overwhelmed when I heard. I, I was in total disbelief, really, just uh, overwhelmed. Um, and for me, I feel like this great responsibility of the future. Like, how can we continue to be? doing this work uh, in the best way we know how. I feel a great uh, responsibility to being a farmer of the year and carrying that forward. That's sort of where my mind goes. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you both for coming down and uh, thank you. telling a little bit of your story. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for having us. Great. Yeah, it's been great. All right. Well, that was Fred and Karen Lee giving us a little history uh, lesson for their uh, organic farm in Bacana. Congratulations to them uh, once again on being named the Northeast Organic Farm Association of New York's uh, Farmers of the Year. Uh, much uh, deserved honor for a great farm with, as you heard there, just a, a rich history. Uh, thank you to our sponsor, California Closets, opening a new showroom on 70 North Main Street in Sayville. And thank you for our listeners for uh, tuning in. If you want to keep up with more uh, North Forker podcasts, be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts or check back every Tuesday and Friday on northforker.com for our latest episodes. Thanks for listening.